Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whichever time of day your community group is meeting church, consider me to have wished you a good one of those. We're happy to continue meeting in this way and being able to continue to gather as the church even during this pandemic season. And I just wanna remind everyone and encourage everyone that we are still gathering as the church. The mode may be different and what it looks like to gather may be a little bit different in this season, but we are still gathering as the church in this way. And we can still be the church to our families, to our friends, to our neighbors. And I just wanna encourage you with that truth today. We're continuing on with our series. This is the final installment of our series, Imagination and Practice. Uh, Pastor Christoph has preached several different messages on imagination and practice. Most recently, we preached on the topic of lament, a topic that, in my opinion and in my experience, is rarely discussed in the church, yet is sorely needed and something that we need to address as Christians, something we need to embrace and something we need to live. And I've been encouraged this week as our community group, my family's community group has put lament into practice. I encourage those who are part of our community group to reach out to other folks in the group and to share. Yes, to reach out to God. Yes, to pray. Yes, to name pain, name difficulty, and name hurt in their lives, but also to name it to one another because God has given us relationships and people around us to be a support to us. And we're meant to be there for one another. And so I encouraged our community group to do that. My wife was telling me this week how there was a text thread between her and some of the other women who are in our community group. And one of them reached out and just shared and said that, you know, I'm going to be honest this week and I'm going to take this practice thing to heart. I'm going to take these words to heart and I want to share something that's painful in my life right now with you all. And um, a, a great thing came from that because they were able to pray together. They were able to encourage one another over text. And so, you know, I want to encourage you as, as we're asking you to practice certain things in these messages. This isn't just an exercise in vanity, but there's actually substantive growth and healing and relationship to be had for your life when you invest in those things. And today I wanna to talk to us about confession. Confession is our topic today, imagination and practice, confession. And I wanna open by reading our three hallmark verses for this series, Matthew chapter four and verse 19, the first part of that verse, and it says, and he said to them, follow me and I will make you. I will make you. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. We see in Revelation 3.20, it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And then finally, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Will you join me in prayer today as we dive into this topic of confession? Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God that it's sharper than any sword, that it divides spirit from flesh, that it gives us guidance, that it's relevant today, that it was relevant years ago when it was written, that it will continue to be relevant in the future, that it is essential for how we live our lives and what it looks like 
to follow Jesus. Thank you for your instruction. Thank you for your guidance. Thank you for your rebuke. Thank you for everything that your word is to us today. And today, God, we just open our hearts to you and ask that you would sow the word into our hearts. We just make ourselves available in humility right now and say, we don't have it all together. We don't know it all. And so we're looking to learn. We're looking to hear your voice today and to be shaped and molded more into your image in the name of Jesus. And wherever you're at, if you join me in saying amen today. Amen. Confession. I want to read another passage of scripture. It's a famous passage of scripture, subtitled in most Bibles as the rich young ruler. And it's about 12 verses long. And so I'd love for you, if you have a Bible, to open up to Luke chapter 18. If not, we will have it as part of this message recording for you. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, I want you to listen closely here. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. I want to return to a couple of points in this passage of scripture because this scripture is often preached on and often interpreted as an indictment of sorts against wealth or against having too much or against withholding finances from God. And while I think that may be an appropriate application, I think there's something deeper going on here, something deeper that Jesus is trying to get at. And I want to share it with you in just a moment. But I, first, I want to share a, a quote with you and share a story with you. You know, it's, it's fall right now, and we're moving into winter, but it's still football season. You see, fall is my favorite season in part because I love football. I grew up playing football, love the game, love what it, what it meant for me personally as an athlete growing up. And I, I enjoy watching. I'm a Patriots fan. I enjoy watching Sunday football, Sunday night football, Monday night football, Thursday night football. Whenever football is on, I enjoy watching it. I enjoy playing it with my kids. I love the fall. And so I, I'm a fan not just of the game, but of all the intricacies of the business of football and what it means to run a team and that sort of thing. And I came across this quote recently because in the National Football League, in the NFL, they have what's called a salary cap 
which means every team, in order to introduce equity across the board and in order to introduce parity so that there's not these dynasties of teams rising and falling all the time because they want to introduce competition and have it be you know, any given Sunday. So-and-so so might win this game today even though their record's bad and so-and-so might lose even though their record's good because every team has the same amount of money allotted to them as an allowance to be able to spend on the salaries of the players that they contract. And I was reading this quote recently by Art Rooney. Art Rooney was the founding owner of the Pittsburgh Steelers, owned them and was the chairman and was an executive in that program for 55 years until his death. And he has this famous quote where he says, I don't mind paying a good player $200,000. I don't mind paying a good player $200,000, which and nowadays for a professional athlete, that's a low salary. They get paid millions of dollars, many of them. Um, he said, I don't mind paying a good player $200,000. This is in the mid-1900s. What I mind is paying a $20,000 player $22,000. That's what I mind. I don't mind paying a good player $200,000. I mind paying a $20,000 player $22,000. And Art Rooney was tapping into this truth where he said, you know what? When I see the value in something, no price tag is too much. When I see the value in something, no price tag is too much. Elsewhere, he's quoted as saying, you cannot overpay a good player. That was his philosophy. No price tag is too much if the thing you're paying for is worth it. But even a dollar, even a little bit extra is too much when you're not convinced of the worth of something. And you're always going to try and strike a bargain. You're always going to try and strike a deal. And we see this dynamic coming out to play in the rich young ruler. You see, Jesus knows that this is in his heart. He knows that he's not yet convinced that God is the ultimate prize. Jesus knows that the rich young ruler isn't convinced that his way is the ultimate way. And so he asks him a question that cuts to the quick. He asks him, why do you call me good? And so often we read this and we hear Jesus put the emphasis on the word me. So what we hear is, why do you call me good? It's as if we think Jesus is deferring goodness. He is rejecting the title of good. But I want to introduce you to a different way of reading this scripture. What if the emphasis is on the word why? What if what we hear is Jesus saying, why do you call me good? You see, those are two different questions. If we hear him put the emphasis on me, it sounds like he's saying, you got the wrong guy. Why do you call me good? I'm not the right guy. Only God is good. But when we hear the emphasis on the word why, it's a different question. He's not denying that he's good. He wants to know why the rich young ruler thinks he's good. He wants the rich young ruler to grapple with his identity. He says, only God is good. And he's implying that if you're calling me good, it's because I'm God. And why does he want him to grapple with his identity? Because he knows that the rich young ruler is not yet convinced of who he is and of his value. We see this in verse 18. And the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you got to know something that back in this age and time, in this culture, teachers abounded. 
This society was replete with teachers. There were teachers on every corner saying, this is how you should walk. This is the way that you should live life. This is what it looks like to follow God. This is when the Messiah is going to come someday. And so the rich young ruler looked at Jesus as merely another teacher. Yes, a good one, but merely another teacher. And so immediately Jesus is addressing his addressing of him and saying, are you calling me good just because I'm a teacher or do you really know who I am? Why do you call me good? No one's good except God alone. He is trying to get it across to this guy and imply to him and say, I'm not just a teacher. I'm someone more than a teacher. No one is good except God alone. And he asked the man, the, the story goes on, and he asked the man, he says, one thing that you still have left to do, you need to sell all you have, distribute to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. But the man went away sad. And then Jesus says, how difficult it is for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. And again, so often we think what that means is if you have a lot of money, if you had a lot of money in the bank, it's really hard for you to be a Christian. And maybe there's some type of application there in some way, but I think there, there's a lot of different kinds of wealth. There's the wealth that assumes and looks at my life and says, I have enough. I have what I need. I have what I need relationally. I have what I need intellectually. I have what I need maybe financially, yes. I have what I need in the sense that my way is complete. My way doesn't need someone else to speak into it. There are many different types of wealth, and I believe that's the type of wealth that Jesus is most speaking into and in saying, for people who think that they are already full, that they are already complete, that they do not lack anything, and they are prideful that way, it is very difficult for someone like that, someone with that kind of wealth, to enter the kingdom of God. Because the starting place is we have to know and say, God, I don't have it all together. I don't have everything I need in and of myself. I am not self-sufficient. I need you. This is what the rich young ruler story is telling us. And I want to challenge you with this thought. That when you know Jesus and his way is worth everything, then everything in your life is available to his lordship. Everything in your life is available to yield to him. Everything in your life is up for possible confession. Maybe you are sitting here listening to this today and you say, you know what, there is this peace in my life that I've always kind of, you know, I've always read in the Bible like, that's not really how I should live. That's not in line with the way of Jesus. Maybe it's how you relate to your spouse. Maybe it's how you handle your finances. Maybe it's how you spend your time. Maybe it's a certain vice that you have or a certain problem that you have. Maybe it's a sin of omission where you know there's some good thing you need to be doing and investing with your time and you're not investing your time in that thing. I believe that when we sit and look at our hearts that all of us, when we allow the Holy Spirit to shine on us, we have room for confession in our lives. We have room to look and say, my life is not fully aligned with the way of Jesus. And therefore, I have some things that I need to confess. But what motivates us to confess? What motivates us to confess is when we are convinced that there is no better way than his way. What motivates us to confess is when we are convinced that there is no one else worth following but Jesus. There's a scripture 
In the book of Matthew chapter 13, verse 44, it's a very simple parable. It's one of Jesus' shortest parables, shortest illustrations. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. He doesn't go with regret. He doesn't go with disgust. He doesn't go with distaste. He doesn't go with hesitation. He goes with joy and sells all that he has and buys that field. He knows the secret that Art Rooney knew, that Art Rooney was trying to communicate, that you can't overpay for a good thing. You can't overpay for something that will reap dividends to your life over and over and over. But the problem is so many of us don't have a full appreciation for the value of Jesus in his way. And so when God asks something of us, we think that it's too much. We say, well, you know, I'll give you this God and I'll give you that God, but I'm not going to give you that. I'll give you my, my Sunday morning. I'll give you a couple hours of my Sunday morning. I might even give you my speech. I'll, I'll, I'll give you the way I talk to people and try to clean that up. But I'm not going to give you my sexual identity. That's something that I want to hold on to. That's a little bit too much. I'll, I'll, give, you, I'll, I'll give you my finances. I'll tithe to the church. I'll give to charities. I'll give you this over here. I'll, I'll give you my media habits and thinking on good things, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is beneficial, whatever is lovely, whatever is excellent. Think on these things. But don't ask me to live with my wife in an understanding way. You, you don't understand my wife. My, my wife is difficult to live with. My wife's not difficult to live with. She's, she's an angel. She's perfect. Just... <laughs> I'm just joking. She, she is wonderful. But I'm not speaking about my wife. I'm speaking, obviously, in hypotheticals and saying, whoever you are, wherever you are, so many of us, we have this habit where we say, yes, everything until it gets to a certain thing, until it gets to the back recesses of our heart. And then all of a sudden, we're like, that's off limits. That's off limits. Confession. When you are convinced of the value of something, we go in joy and we confess. And I'm not saying that every time we've ever confessed that it feels good. It doesn't feel good. But there is a joy. There is a posturing of our hearts that says that is better than where I was. And I want to pursue that. I'll give you one personal story from my life. I've shared this before years ago when I preached at our church. I was, when I was right after high school, before I went to college, I started a business. I started an apprenticeship first, laying carpet and installing carpet. I was a carpet subcontractor. Then I started my own business and I was installing residential carpet in people's homes. And I was working for a local business here in Williamsburg. And I got sent out to this job as a subcontractor to install a stairway runner on a set of stairs. There was a set of hardwood stairs and they bought this carpet runner that went up the stairs. And so, you know, and it wasn't cheap. It was a, a true oriental carpet runner. The, the, the piece of carpet with its binding and everything was about $1,800 or so, maybe close to $2,000. And so this family had bought this and they wanted it installed. And I was a professional installer, so I went on site to install this. And so I'm out there and I'm working and I'm there for hours, getting this thing perfectly lined up and going up the stairs. But the problem was that when I first 
stapled in the bottom of the carpet runner at the base of the staircase. It was slightly off. It was just a little bit crooked. And so when I got up to the second set of stairs, I was stapling it in and tucking it under the lip of the stair riser and doing everything just right and just like I knew how to do and, you know, happy, talking to the customer, chit-chatting. And then the customer left for a little while. They went to go have lunch and they came back to check on me an hour later. And I keep going upstairs and upstairs and upstairs. But then as I get about halfway up the staircase, I can notice that there's less space on the left side of the runner than there is on the right side of the runner. It's crooked and it's not centered in the staircase. And I kept going though, because I was so afraid that if I pull this carpet runner out, all of these staples that are holding it to the wooden staircase underneath are gonna pull out, and it's gonna pull out the tufts of carpet, and I'm gonna damage this thing, and then I'm gonna have to pay $2,000 to replace this thing. And so I just kept going. And I got all the way up to the top. And when I got up to the top, I started to finish, and the homeowner, came around the corner, had finished their lunch or whatever, and, and they're looking up at the staircase and kind of moving their hand like this. And my heart's just beating a million miles a minute. And they, and they say, is, is, does that look crooked to you? Man, I, usually I don't appreciate passive aggressive people. You know, but I, in that moment, I appreciated it. You know, usually I, I, I would just say, hey, if you think it looks crooked, just tell me it's crooked. But I was so glad that they were like, do you think it looks crooked to you? Because I jumped on that and I said, no, you know, it's not crooked. Your, your staircase is actually slanted and it's kind of an optical illusion. And I just like, I couldn't even believe what was coming out of my mouth. I, I, I uttered this bold faced lie to this customer and they kind of scratched their head and looked at it all weird and, and they're like, I don't know, it, it looks kind of crooked. And I'm like, I know it looks that way, but you know, I, it's, it's just sort of how, how the optics look. It's, it's installed correctly. And so I go outside and they're kind of like, okay, um, and, and walk around the corner and I'm cleaning up from the job and I go outside. And the moment I walk outside their house and I'm loading things in my truck, the Holy Spirit just stuck like a dagger in my heart and was like, what are you doing? What, what are you doing to these people? What are you doing to your relationship with other humans? What are you doing to your relationship with me right now? Walking in a lie, embracing a lie, trying to get out easy. And so I sat out there for about 10 minutes, shaking, my heart thumping, and I was like, I don't know, I, I wasn't making a lot of money at the time, and I said, I don't know what to do, and I just need to go confess. I need to go confess. So I went back inside, and I said to the homeowner, I said, you know, Mr. So-and-so, Mrs. So-and-so, I, I have a confession to make. And instead of just saying, I think it is installed incorrectly. I, I looked them in the eye and I said, will you forgive me? I just lied to you. <laughs> I just came right out and said, I just lied to you because I was afraid to uninstall the carpet because I was afraid it would damage it and then I would be on the hook to pay to replace this, but it does need to be uninstalled and I'll take it back to the shop and we'll get you a new one, whatever that looks like. And they said, you know, I, I was hoping that they would just embrace me and be like, oh, it's okay, you're fine. We don't mind crooked runners, but they were a little bit upset and <laughs> understandably. And they said, all right, yeah, just you know, take care of it and let us know next steps or whatever. So I went back to the shop and you know, thankfully I didn't have to replace it. The, the business owner who had hired me, they footed the bill to replace it graciously, but I went out and I installed it correctly the next time and it looked perfect all the way up. But I, I share that story with you to say that sometimes confession is painful. Sometimes it's difficult. But it's necessary for us to walk in the way of Jesus. And I was convinced in that moment, as much as it was difficult, I made a decision. The way of Jesus is more valuable 
than whatever way that I'm on right now, whatever way that my lives, whatever way that my own behavior is bringing me. So I want to share this week with our imagination and our practice. I want you to imagine this week and dwell on this thought. Is Jesus merely a good teacher to you? Or is he good because he's God? Is he merely a good teacher, someone who has some nice ideas to sort of add or supplement to all of our other philosophies, all of our other ways, all of our other good ideas about how we should live life? Or is he good because he's God and because his way has ultimate value? I want you to imagine that this week, to reflect on that, to think about that this week. Who is Jesus to you? Just as Jesus asked the Apostle Peter, who do you say that I am? That is an important question for you to answer. And your practice this week, I want you to practice confession as painful as it is. I want you to practice confession with your spouse, with your other members of your community group with your children even. I can't tell you how many times I have confessed to my children and said, you know what, I screwed this up and I need to ask your forgiveness. Practice confession towards God and repent from things and ask him and say, God, would you forgive me? Would you help me to move past this? Would you help me to move into full and abundant life? And I believe that the grace of God will go with you this week and allow you to practice that effectively. I wanna just close by letting you know that in the coming few weeks, Pastor Christoph is shifting gears a little bit and is going to be preaching a series called We Are the Jar, preaching from the story of the woman with the alabaster jar in the New Testament. And so I want to encourage you in the coming weeks to tune in, to join us for these worship times, for these messages, for these community groups, to reach out to us if you've not found a community group for these last few weeks of 2020, to make sure that you're joining together in relationship and still gathering how we can as the church during this time. Let me leave you with a benediction, church. May we be a people who see Jesus as good because he's God, not merely because he's a teacher. May we be convinced that we cannot overpay we cannot over-sacrifice. We cannot over-confess to walk in his way. And may we remember that with Jesus, it only gets better.